the disc, and behind him is James Wiseman from USA. This is a recording of the gold-winning Open Pairs performance of the most recent Freestyle Frisbee World Championship. Crop Morty is the most exceptional European jammer right now. The reason we're listening to it is because to explain to you who Brad Keller is, I first have to explain what Freestyle Frisbee is. To explain what Freestyle Frisbee is, I need like four hours. But I don't think people will listen to a podcast that long, so instead... I'm going to give you as intense and dramatic of an explanation as possible. There's no such thing as difficulty for these guys. Everything is easy. Freestyle Frisbee is an evolution of the basic throw and catch. It was developed in the 70s. Rather than stopping the movement of the Frisbee with a catch, players used techniques like airbrushes, where the Frisbee swiped in midair on the outside rim in the direction of the spin, or nail delays, where the Frisbee spun on the tip of the finger, or other basic maneuvers which are designed to keep the disc spinning and allow for more tricks. It's a lot like figure skating. Not only is there some serious athleticism at work, there's also an emphasis put on artistic movement. Hello. A heavy influence of dance and performance art. It's elegant. It's manipulating the disc in ways that seem to defy gravity. It's free-flowing, yet controlled and technical. Spinning, flaming guidance. It's a dialogue with your partner, and the no, frisbee is the language. James's spins too, it's a sport you've never heard of, played by people you never expect, and it's everywhere. Russia, China, Israel, Colombia. There's history to it, culture, tradition. These guys are so good. It's an ode to flight, while somehow a complete disregard for the laws of physics. Flamingo. It's art. It's sport. Spinning, flamingo, dropless, ladies. That was a dropless routine in the finals of the open pairs. That was as clean and beautiful as it gets. I hope that sounds as awesome as I think it does. I've literally just been watching frisbee videos for the last two weeks, so this stuff kind of amps me up. Anyways, I'm Dan Fabi. This is City Folk. Enjoy. Central Park, it's 5.49. I met Brad at the beginning of the summer while he was playing Frisbee in Tompkins Square. He had a pile of like 15 Frisbees and was doing these insane tricks, so I asked him about what he does. He told me about this weekly get-together that him and other freestylers have in Central Park. It's called All-Star Thursdays. So on a Thursday afternoon in October, I went to check it out. Don't see any discs. Oh, yes I do. Yes I do. Yeah. Yeah, this is them. Hey, Brad. Hey. How you doing, man? I'm Dan. I'm the one yeah. you talked to on the phone. How's it going, man? I don't want to interrupt. I'll let you do your thing. I'll, uh, right. I'm going to get my stuff set up. Sat down, to took a video on my phone in order to have a better chance at describing what was happening. And even with the video playing in front of me right now, I'm having trouble putting what I'm watching into words that will make sense to you, but we'll give it a shot. Okay, in this video, Brad is playing with one of his longtime partners, Roger Meyer. Okay, here we go. 
Brad throws to Roger and Roger catches it down by his knee on the tip of his finger, it's a nail delay, throws it up behind his back over his shoulder then sticks his elbow up towards the sky, he's bouncing the spinning frisbee on it, he bounces it three times, catches it back on his finger, he drops it off his hand, he kicks it, he catches it on his finger again, he pops it up a couple inches, he spins 360 degrees and then catches it on his finger again and throws it back to Brad. God, I hope that makes sense to people. Barely makes sense to me, and I'm the one watching it right now. There are two other freestylers, or jammers as they're called, that came to this session, or jam, and the only one that's under the age of 50 is this guy, James Wiseman. He's 28, and he's currently one of the superstars of the sport. He was telling me that you just won uh, the gold, the two gold medals in the world yeah. championships last weekend? I did, on Sunday. So I won the open pairs and the mixed pair divisions and got second in the co-op division. That's wild, so you're like, I guess regarded as one of the best in the world right now, yeah? He's if one, not the best. This just, guy is the, the, the he, Work your hardest and hope for the best. Numero uno. He, yeah, numero uno yeah, right the there. Okay, so I know absolutely nothing about this sport. I didn't even know it existed. And I could tell this kind of excited them because as soon as I started asking questions, they were all in. We talked about the different generations of jammers, the way competitions are judged, the progression of tricks, the debate over how much is left to be discovered. You asked about the like, um, signature moves. The reason that we have more than somebody today might, well, today there's a lot of new development also, but things were just starting back in the 70s when I started playing, and so... There was, there was a lot to invent. <laughs> but this is a much debated topic online of like, you know, people arguing, oh yeah, it's all been discovered. And you're adamantly opposed yeah. to that view. It's sort of like, you know, the end of science. Like, have all the great scientific discoveries been made? I think there's still an endless array of techniques to be developed. And I will never run out of things to work on. And every year, especially at a big tournament like Worlds, I see a lot of new moves that people have come up with. So I think there's a lot of room for growth still. After having the most complex conversation about Frisbee I've ever had in my life, I started asking myself how I'd gone this long without any exposure to this entire world. I don't even know when that would have happened. I guess college, maybe? I played a lot of Frisbee in college. But for Brad, this happened when he was just 16. Back in 1977. I played frisbee every day in Michigan. Um, it was my thing, but not at the level that people were playing here. And the first day I came here, I saw, I walked into Washington Square from, I lived on Canal Street. I walked up to Washington Square, I saw the best in the world, this guy Joey, um, Richie, those guys, some other people, playing in the park. Went home, got my frisbee, came back out and started practicing a nail delay. And played it pretty much every day after that. Um, was in Washington Square. 10, 12 hours a day, seven days a week for much of that time through high school, um, following high school. I'd you know, work in the day and be at the park by early afternoon and, and be playing till late in the night. And there was a whole community of us that just hung out. You can go to the park anytime, 24-7, and you bump into Frisbee players and play for a couple of hours. So it was a nice time. So I, I saw those people, started playing, and got absorbed by the community and been the same way ever since. Frisbee's almost always been at the very center of Brad's life, and it's brought him all over the place. When he was younger, he hitchhiked across the country for six months, going from tournament to tournament, competing with legends, getting his name out there. And on his way to the World Championship, he's able to arrange one ride with a few other jammers, some of his friends. It's the only ride he arranged this entire trip, and it ends up literally killing him. And got 
injured, I was out for almost a year, and so the people that I was with in that car were um, one of the people that owned the vehicle was the top player in the world, um, the guy who's considered the oracle or the god of frisbee, <laughs> and uh, so it was it that caused a big uh, sort of a spin in my frisbee world. So I stopped traveling as much as a lot of people did at the time. The eight, this was in the early 80s. It actually happened in 1980. Um, and 81, 82, 83 were a peak in, in sort of the Frisbee scene. And I was, like I said, I was out for a year just just uh, recovering. And, uh, and then a long time after that, the other parts of recovering after such an intense injury. My whole face was destroyed in that I was blinded in this eye. Um, so it was a pretty big thing. All plastic bones now in here. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, that caused and and he and a couple people involved with that couldn't deal with what happened. So there were things that happened as a result of that that caused some turmoil. And uh, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean he couldn't deal with what happened? Well, it, oh, the, the people that were involved um, just kind of blew me off and the whole thing. And uh, and I was out for a long. You know, it was like a big thing. But they couldn't. They just couldn't deal with it. the guy that was driving in that accident. Still to this day, can't deal with me. <laughs> he told me once that because of what happened to me, he can never put himself in any position to have any impact on anyone else's life ever again. <laughs> and I told him, get over it. I said, you're still sucking from life if you think that's if that's your problem. I said, I healed. You know, from the beginning when I first came out of a coma. I forced them to bring him to the hospital, and I consoled him. <laughs> when I had just come out of a coma, I was, uh, I mean, I kind of remember it. It was a, I'm sitting there thinking, why am I doing this? But, uh, but anyways, yeah, and that was. I see, so you were the one, you were the one that got really injured, and everybody else kind of took it upon themselves. Nobody else got hurt. Uh, I see. And, uh, and I was out. I was, I died. I actually left, I had memories of leaving my body and seeing myself from above and thinking, oh my God, that's me, like, this is serious, you know, and, and, uh, and then. A few days later, I was I came back and but my face was all sort of destroyed and uh, it was it was a big incident. How did you get back into the game after that? Well, when I first as soon as I could stay awake for more than a half an hour a day, I wanted to walk to Washington Square Park where all my where everybody jammed and uh, it was just my driving force and I, I never thought twice about it. Um, it's just what I wanted to do. And so as soon as I was able to stay awake, my mother would give me cab fare and I would walk as far as I could go and take a cab home. So the first day it was literally like a block. <laughs> and then it was a couple of blocks and I finally made it to Washington Square. And I was still, my whole face was, I, I had lost 35 pounds uh, in the ten, first 10 days of that accident. Um, so people, this is when Soho was a, was kind of more of a community uh, and we lived in, in Soho. So walking the streets, a lot of people sort of recognized after hearing the stories what had happened to me. And so um, there was a lot of community support. And I got to the park, got to play Frisbee and played as much as I could every day after that and never looked back, only looked forward. I uh, never actually shed a tear about the whole thing. I, I, um, I was in a good place myself when that happened, you know, and I had a sort of a, um, a faith that was, that kind of carried me through. Um, didn't again didn't look back I just was grateful to be alive and every day was another day that I was moving forward and, and getting stronger and playing more frisbee and having more fun with my friends and just kept kept living so why do you this would be the catalyst that sparks a series of events that ultimately involves Brad in this therapy program something called project happy 
After we parted ways, Brad sent me a text inviting me to join him on Saturday at the program. So I said, yeah. When I showed up on Saturday morning, I kind of just assumed I would be observing, seeing how the kids interact with Brad, seeing his program. But as soon as I got there, I was told to make a circle of chairs, and immediately I realized, oh, okay, I'm a volunteer. The woman that directed me to make that circle was the head of the program, Penny Shaw. She started Project Happy in 1981. The program is aimed at getting kids with physical or mental disabilities involved in different types of activities like swimming, basketball, arts and crafts, or in Brad's case, frisbee. It takes place at Hunter College, where Penny taught dance at the time of its inception and where Brad took Penny's class when he was trying to get back in his feet after the accident. That's why, because I had come out of this car accident. Um, they didn't put me into any therapies, and so I went to Hunter College to get my brain working and, um, and my body. So I took a dance class, and it was Penny's class, and she, she got my, helped me get my body working again. Wow. So she was starting this program. I was taking her dance class, Penny, and um, she kept saying to me, Brad, you know, do you want to do this program? And... It's on Saturdays, but I usually play Frisbee on Saturdays. So I was hesitant. I kind of put it off, put it off. One day I was late leaving Hunter College, and um, I hear the train. I go running for the train. I throw my token when we had tokens at the time. Uh, Shoot through the turnstile. Train's just about to pull away. I dive through the doors as they're closing, and I plow into somebody. Boxes fly. When the dust settles, there are Frisbees on the floor, and Penny with a shocked look on her face. I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Penny. She said, I can't believe it. I stayed late looking for apparatus for the program. Good morning. Great. How you doing? She said, I stayed late looking for apparatus for the program, and I found this box of Frisbees and was going home to call you and say, now you have to do the program. So that's, so I started then, and, and they can't get rid of me now. The day starts, and the first group of kids comes into the atrium where we're set up. Most are in wheelchairs, and to be honest, at this point, I'm thinking, how is this going to work? Brad then takes out about 20 or 30 of these soft Frisbees. They're kind of like these cloth discs with weighted edges, so no matter how you throw them, they'll usually fan out and fly straight. And he just starts throwing them at the kids. We never really talked about the game plan here, but, you know, I'm a guest, so I'm not going to question his methods, so I start throwing frisbees at kids, too. This goes on for a hefty portion of this activity period, and it's fun. The kids are having so much fun. In each period, Brad's program is slightly altered to accommodate for that particular group of kids' mental or physical capacity. The curriculum spans anywhere from sliding a frisbee across the floor with a partner to a full-on intense game of ultimate. Within each of these groups, the kids are being tested and challenged, their motor skills, eye contact, teamwork, all through the medium of this language that Brad seems to speak and which each of them seems to understand. For a few of them, it's the only physical sport they will ever be able to play. At the end of the day, once the program was done... Brad gave me a tour of the campus. I remember thinking it was the one time I saw his passion for something match his passion for Frisbee. Throughout the tour, Brad didn't just speak of his love for the program, but also for the head of it, Penny. Penny has created this thing that's just, um, you know, I've never known of anything as, as perfect as this, really, you know? And she brings everyone together. Oh, I was saying, she makes cookies and for the guards here, and she, she does these little things, and she's a really busy woman, but, and she's 82 years old, and she's still runs the whole thing and you see the level of disabilities that we're dealing with and we never have knock on wood we never have an ambulance here we don't have any problems 
um, it doesn't make sense that a program can go so long with so many people doing so many different activities and have it all so sort of successful. Um, it's Penny. She's truly a, a, you know, an amazing human being, somebody that's incredible. Penny was constantly running around. She was extremely busy, but at one point I was able to catch her. It was very clear right off the bat that Brad's admiration for Penny was mutual. So one of the things that Brad does is he gives them a big pile of Frisbees and they pass it from person to person. And I don't think a physical therapist could get them to do that, the amount of balancing and uh, what, what that takes. But then, because they're so interested and excited and it's, he just gives out that energy, they'll do things that they might not be able to do otherwise just because their brain is so hyped up from the excitement of that. So he's really come up with things that have impressed people for years when they come to see him. Brad brings a kind of energy that is amazing, really. I mean, uh, but most, it's not just his energy, it's his inventiveness. He's a genius for inventing things that children can do that no one else has ever thought of. Things where they might not be able to do anything, and he's got them doing things. I think you saw that with Rander and uh, Nikita. They can barely move, and yet they're playing Frisbee. I totally understood what Brad saw in her. I saw it as soon as I walked in the door that day. She greeted me so openly, and she was so warm and inviting. She thanked me for coming. She gave me a tour. So this tour that Brad was giving me was actually my second tour. I just didn't tell him that. I was so enamored by everything about this 82-year-old woman. Her energy, her history, the way she somehow made everyone here so comfortable and at home. My son used to say to me, don't tell people that the volunteers get more out of it than the kids. <laughs> when, I, when I started this program in 1981, there were no programs. Um, there were no curb cuts, if you know what a curb cut is. So that when you got to the curb to go across the street, you had to turn a wheelchair around, back it down, because it wasn't scooped out. Then uh, there was no accessoride. There were no accessible buses, certainly not accessible subways. There was nothing. There were no programs. Um, in 1990, when they passed the American Disabilities Act, everything changed. So then it became, they gave everyone two years to comply with accessibility. In 1982, I wrote several letters to the then Mayor Koch. I went to meetings. I couldn't get a curb cut done. And then the laws got passed and I didn't have to do anything. We didn't have a ramp into the gym. And all of a sudden I walked in one day and there it was. I mean, I... Because of the American Disabilities Act, everything just completely turned around. And once there was transportation, then there could be programs. Without transportation, no one could get anywhere. So what good was a program? You couldn't get the kids there. We were paying $400 for a van to take four kids in wheelchairs. So that was, uh, so things have really changed. Like when I go to this dinner tomorrow, tonight where I'm getting this award, I'm going to say how many people were alive before 1990 because it's a young group. And I don't think there'll be anyone there that will remember what it was like when, if you were a wheelchair user, you couldn't go anywhere. Why, are you so, why were you so passionate about it then when nobody else was? Or why, where did that come I, well, from? I came right up against it. Here I was given this program to run by my department. That was the Department of Health and Physical Education at Hunter. Asked me to run this program. And the biggest problem was, how was I going to get people to this program? There was no transportation. So I started trying to work on that. I couldn't make a dent, but then it happened, you know, automatically. Why was I so interested? Um, it just, I just looked at it and I thought, this is something I can do, you know, I could help. Bye, bye kids. See you next week.
Betty, I'm sorry. So okay. One of the kids, he can't find his shirt, and we're scouring the locker room. What kind of shirt is it? A t-shirt for him. What just like that, she was off to save the day again. There is such a precisely defined series of events that led Brad to this program. Frisbee brought him around the world and ultimately led to a devastating crash. That crash led him to Hunter College and to Penny's dance class, and then that brought him here. And through either his active resilience or by some lucky push in this direction, he ended up in a place where he thrives so completely. I mean, it was so clear to me immediately that this is a person who was performing in a place that utilizes every ounce of his skill and personality and everything that makes him him. Brad's journey here wasn't easy, but... Yeah, it's hard for me to find a moment in everything he talked about that even hinted at him feeling anything less than grateful and lucky. I, it's funny, when I buy something in a store or get a service or whatever, and they always say, can I help you with anything else? I, I kind of jokingly say, yes, I'm looking for the meaning of life. Since I was, the time I was very young to now, from that time to now, I have always tried to sort of figure out what, what it is, what is the, the reason we are here. And as far as I can figure, and this is where I guess the spiritual part comes in, um, it's really, it's about more you give, it's more, more about giving than, than taking in the world. It's about what you leave, the relationships, the way you can impact other people's lives. And Frisbee, as I said the other day, is kind of a great platform for me to sort of use to reach out into the world, to, to touch people, to connect with them. When I, when I release that disc, a piece of me kind of flies with it. And I have flying dreams all the time in my sleep, but with Frisbee, I can do it in my, in my conscious mind, and that's really um, something I love. I, I, I dream of flying, literally and figuratively. Frisbee is my, my medium to experience that in the conscious world. City Folk is created and hosted by me, Dan Fabi, co-produced by Jack Symes, with all the original music by Jack as well. Artwork by Jake Shapiro. Special thanks to Penny Shaw and everyone at Project Happy, Brad's fellow jammers Roger Meyer, Quinn O'Neill, James Wiseman, and to Jake Gothier, the mastermind behind FrisbeeGuru.com, the ultimate online reference and blog for all things Frisbee. I've spent collectively 100 hours on this website and now know more about freestyle than I know about any other sport that exists. Check it out if you want to see that gold medal performance that played in the beginning of the episode. That's of James Wiseman, actually, and it's worth it. Trust me. And most of all, thank you, Brad, for taking me under your wing and showing me this world that I knew nothing about. This was an unexpectedly meaningful experience for me, and I look forward to coming back to Project Happy one of these days. If there's someone in your city that you see reaching out to other people and you want to know more about them, shoot us an email at contact at cityfolkpodcast.com. I'm Dan Fabi. This is City Folk. Thanks for listening. Thank you.